Well, welcome to the front porch. I'm Louis Love. I'm Thabiti Anyabwile. Brother, we out here on this new remodeled porch. <laughs> Feel like you got a new house, don't you? Man, you know, and it's different than just moving furniture around. <laughs> we, we've had some real construction work done here, right? Exactly. On, on the back end, man. You know, Chris and I like to watch Property Brothers and those shows, man. Every once in a while, you remodel a show and the couple gets shocked because it's like, oh, we got to drop $20,000 to rewire the house. So there's stuff happening in the walls that ain't all pretty on the inside. That's right. right. You, right. you got to do some of that internal work to make sure the structure sound. I feel like we... Feel like we went through some of that. Oh my goodness, man! <laughs> and, and and you better get those wires right, bruh. Oh come on, yeah, because you don't come want on. no fires, right? Burn it, burn it right down. <laughs> yeah, burn it right down. Yeah, you you don't want one of them late in the midnight hour awakenings. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you smell something. It's something burning. Girl, go back to sleep. <laughs> I knew we should. I knew we should have hired a a union guy for them walls <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the electricity, right? He should have been. He should have been a journeyman electrician. Exactly. We should have exactly. hired Joey from the corner. We should. Exactly. Exactly. Talk about. I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> Ain't no problem. <laughs> oh goodness! Well, man, it is bad, and we certainly, we certainly appreciate John Dulos Aragon for his man. hard work, his persistence, Amen. and uh, and getting this all fixed up for us. But uh, yeah, man, it looks nice. A lot of good reviews, so I hope folks come out. I hope they'll enjoy it as much as Amen. we do, right? Man, today we're going to talk about the Crete Collective. Mm. We've been together now, T, for many years. I think Jeremiah asked me, so how long How long you been knowing Pastor T? And I said, wow, Jeremiah, man, I, I, I can't. I know Titus was a baby. Yeah. I said, and, and then he says, did he have gray hair when you knew it? <laughs> <laughs> I said no. I said yeah. I think he T's always been gray. I think, and I think Jamie said no. He wasn't gray then. Wasn't this bad? Wasn't this what? bad? As my mama would say, "Boy, you plum white headed yeah, now." <laughs> Only mamas can say it like that, right? That's right. That's right. But, but yeah, man, we've done some um, a lot of work. Uh, together, mm -hmm. conferences, uh, New Life Conference. Mm -hmm. uh, we worked together to form the uh, Front Porch. Mm -hmm. uh, Just Gospel, some yeah. gatherings with brothers, and um, and so <laughs> this new this new initiative. Like like Louis and Tim got this ain't got nothing to do. Yeah, so we got nothing to do, brothers. <laughs> so, <laughs> we need to start something. And then they, and then they just find some other folk who. Who, who agree with him on some stuff, and they got another initiative. <laughs> but that's not really the way it happened. That's not the way it happened with this one. Uh, mm -hmm. We were kind of thinking about these things in, apart from one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't know you were uh, even thinking along these lines, you know, along the lines of a church planting ministry. Mm -hmm. um, and so, <clears throat> so let me ask you this then, T, because I'm going to make this, I'm going to frame this in such a way where I want to get at uh, what was in your heart, uh, what, how, how you were working and what you're thinking about in terms of, of this work. So right out the gate, we've had conversations in the past about uh, neglected neighborhoods. 
uh, and the work needs to be done with them, the gospel work that could be done in those neighborhoods and, and, um, and how they have been overlooked, uh, marginalized um, a lot. And so um, what, I mean, over the years we've had those conversations, but a couple of years ago, um, there's this idea to begin this, this collective, this church planting ministry. So mm-hmm. was it something that clicked a couple of years ago? Was it or some things that said, OK, you know what? Didn't talk in too long. Mm-hmm. It's time to get to work on this. Yeah, man, it's a great way to put in the question. I think it's really a for me, it's a series of conversations and events and relationships that um, led to the birth of the Creek Collective. Um, when I was in the Cayman Islands, um, I think I felt a liberty to be there, uh, in part because I felt like the Lord had called me there, mm-hmm. um, but also because I, I I was appreciative of the work that I knew of that was already happening in our communities. It was already happening in black and brown communities, already happening in inner city neighborhoods. Um, but a series of events while I was there sort of made me aware that it was much less of it than I thought it was. Mm. And so the Lord began to stir my heart um, at that point about the question of whether or not we should come back and plant a church um, in in a predominantly African-American community, you know, inner city and all that that means. And so we we come back 2014, we plant the church by God's grace in 2015. And around the same time, there were a couple of other churches that were planting with, with a very similar sort of heart and vision and mission in mind. So our brother John uh, Onwachekwa and the team, uh, Richard and Mo and those guys, uh, trip at the time down at Cornerstone in Atlanta, in the west end of Atlanta. Uh, our brother Shai Lynn and Brian Davis were planting Risen Christ Fellowship up in Philadelphia. And so this is 2015, and Brian Davis shoots me an email one day, says, man, can I come hang out with you one day? He said, this is the first time I've been, like, full-time in ministry. I just need to know how you how you plan and work your day, right? I just need to see what somebody else does. I said, yeah, man, that'd be cool. And so he wrote back and said, can Shai come? I said, definitely. And I mentioned it to one of my fellow elders here at the time, who's really close with Tripp and John and those guys, and he says, um, well, how about we invite the elders from Cornerstone and we just make it a retreat um, between the sort of elderships of our three churches. Wow. Y'all forgot about, bruh? Forgot about me, huh? Well, that's, that's cool. No. That's all right. All right. <laughs> Finish your story. <laughs> <My fault. laughs> that's all right. And so, and so we got together um, and uh, all of us about the same sort of stage of life as a church plant. We're all in our first year. We're all kind of figuring some things out. And uh, we just got together to pray, to fellowship, to encourage one another. And, and we began to compare notes. And w- the notes that we had were all kind of in common. Like, you know, we, we recognized that there were supports we needed that we weren't getting from the denominations we were in. Um, there were sort of resources that were missing. Um, there were things that we, we believed and agreed to theologically, but that weren't contextualized. Um, for our setting and neighborhood. And so out of that meeting, we decided, hey, well, let's do this again. So about a year later, we got together again. It was at that meeting, uh, this time down in Atlanta, where, you know, the question came up, do we need to sort of create something? Do we need to organize something that would have this focus on neglected black and brown neighborhoods? And uh, we said, yeah. 
And then we start doing stuff on CP time, man. We start we start having conversations, get a little momentum going, because we all got a day job. We all That's pastors, right? right? So right. slow down, and we That's move right. forward and slow down. And then two years ago, um, we started sort of saying, okay, we need to get this going in earnest and really start to invest and to build together. And by that time, you and I had had a conversation. I would love for you to talk about, you know, how, how the thing was sort of developing in your own heart. But you and I had a conversation where you were sharing about our community, want to be in our communities. Um, new life was moving to a new neighborhood. Uh, you were thinking through those things, and we were talking. And I was excited listening to you talk, right? Um, and 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 I was excited because I, I had just drafted a concept paper for the Creek Collective. And I said, you know, Lou, let me let me send you something real quick. Um, and so we been began to talk about um, you know, yeah, working together. Let's let's see if we can't put our shoulders behind the plow on this. And what long after that that we had Just Gospel 2019 down in Atlanta, and we saw our brother uh, Daryl Williamson, and I shared the paper with Daryl. Daryl's like, oh, this we in, you know. Um, and so from there, we just we just had momentum, and the Lord began to the Lord began to provide for us in that way. Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting with that momentum. Um, and the Lord's provision was almost scary. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. like Lord, we just had an idea. We was just talking, right? <clears throat> and uh, the Lord showed us favor um, early on. Um, Sister Danae, uh, Pierre, um, yes. put us all together out in New York, you yeah. know, uh, for like a, a work, a work, couple of work days, yep. uh, frame out the vision and all of that, frame out... Um, what we would hope to do specifically, which brings me to the next question, mm-hmm. because you mentioned it, uh, black and brown, yeah. neglected communities, right? So when we when we did the hard work of putting together the vision, you know, and the purpose and what we really wanted to do, um, we we got some pushback a little bit on specifying uh black and brown mm-hmm. no one really pushes back on neglected communities right overlooked under-resourced communities. those are nice big generic terms you know they people have an idea who you talking about yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah we got we got it yeah okay but we gonna help yeah. you read between the lines right we don't yeah. need you to read between we're gonna be very very clear black and brown uh communities mm-hmm why the speci- why the specificity? That word's always hard to say. I ought to just change it to something else, but that's okay. Say <laughs> <laughs> why be so specific? Yeah, well, or as my well, dad used to Pacific. My, my dad said Pacific. Why? <laughs> that's what daddy used to call it Pacific, man. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, uh, man. There, there are a couple of answers to that. Um, you you remember the first draft of the paper that I wrote? Um, I specified African American. That's right, right. That's right. That's right. Uh, that's right. That's right. African American yeah. neighborhoods, and um, because I was thinking primarily about the neighborhood that I'm in, mm-hmm. which is 90 percent African American, and I think the other brothers who read the paper rightly said, "Ooh, that's kind of tight. We we only doing black neighborhoods kind of thing," and we and it led us into a really rich discussion about okay, how do we frame this right? Because one of the reasons why we want the specificity of black and brown is that. Uh, I think we recognize that many of us who've been in sort of multi-ethnic, predominantly white context, 
is that unless you have that kind of specificity, it doesn't get done. You know, there's there's an old adage in um, community psychology and organizational psychology, organizational development. What gets measured is what gets done. Mm. So so the things that you pay attention enough to to measure are the things that you actually put effort into doing. Um, And see, this isn't a measure for most um, sort of larger, predominantly white or multi-ethnic organizations. How many black and brown neighborhoods we impact and get the gospel into is not a measure. That's kind of assumed under the banner of multi-ethnic. Or as you say, we have all these sort of polite ways of saying black without saying black. And and we don't want to be ashamed of saying black, right? You can even get away with saying brown or saying yellow without that sort of conjuring for people the notion of separation and segregation and something negative. But the moment you start specifying something being black, then you start getting questions about, well, justify that. Now, in my mind, I don't need any other justification than what we read in the Bible, where in the Bible, God has said that in his church are going to be people from every tribe, language, tongue, ethnicity, and so on. Right? Well, how does that happen? Well, if we're in the international missions world, it happens by specifying people groups and sending people to unreached and unengaged people groups. We don't send people generically to places. We send them to particular peoples. And in many of our neighborhoods, man, that that are neglected, we got entrenched poverty where people have abandoned the neighborhoods, people with resources and things, um, where where the, the idea of success is to get out. Well, what that means is that there's a there's a resource drain on our neighborhoods. And one of the resources that's drained is the gospel, right? Their church is here, but much of the membership of our churches kind of commute in for Sunday service, but don't live in the neighborhood. So there's not a Monday to Saturday witness, living present witness, as thick as it could be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't think we need any other justification other than God has decided that he wants people from every people group in his family and in his church. And that happens by us taking the gospel there. Here's the other thing I would say is a justification. Not that I need one. We, we would need more justification, but here's the other thing. So that's, that's clarification. <laughs> yeah, clarification. <laughs> here's the other thing. Um, man, if we don't, who will? Wow. wow. Right? If we don't take the gospel to our people, if we don't join arms with churches that are already in our neighborhood mm-hmm. trying to get the gospel to our people, who will? So. If you put the, if you put it in the sense of um, you ask yourself the question, let's do a thought experiment. Okay. Let, let's say that that um, black Christians decided, brown Christians decided, we're all going to go diversify predominantly white churches, and we're all going to sort of go all in on multi-ethnic churches, and that's where we're going to plant our lives for until Jesus comes, um, and we're not going to worry about this question of missiologically you know, different people groups in our country and and how we reach them. Here's what you have to ask yourself is how long would it take the the sort of multi-ethnic or the predominantly white church as we know it today, how long would it take them to reach the neglected, tough neighborhoods uh, in our cities and towns, to reach black and brown people in our cities and towns if we all just sort of defaulted to that? I don't think they would be rich. And, and the reason I say that is they're not crossing the street already to right, come here. Right. Yeah, if you, yeah, if you base it on what's being done right now <clears throat> and what's been done in, yeah. our, in our lifetimes. And I mean, That's right. I, know you, I know you just broke over 50 last year. 
That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> half a century. Half a century. And I'll hit 60, Lord willing, this year. And so in our lifetimes, in our, you know, adult lifetimes, so when we were, when we were thinking about these things, uh, if that's any indication, yeah, I don't think it's not going to happen. Uh-huh. You, you, yeah. you, you mentioned um, if we don't, who will? And old church planner, you know I always bring him up. Pastor Robert Crockett yeah. uh, planted his first church in Markham, Illinois, in 1958. Mm-hmm. We weren't even thought of then. Mm-hmm. And this right. man was planting churches. And Amen. so he, he mentored me uh, in the early days of new life here in, uh, in Illinois. And he, and he said, hey, uh, young pastor, <laughs> I was in my 40s, right? <laughs> but you, when you're in your 70s, you can say that, right? That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> and he right. says, listen, I, he said, I love, my, what, my, I love my white brethren. He said, I do. He said, and uh, as a matter of fact, he said, uh, a lot of my work, mission work, youth with Missions of America then. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, I've been supported by them. He said, but um, for the most part, they really don't have a focus in our communities. Mm-hmm. He said, sure. and we won't care about, no one would care about our people like we do, young that's right. pastor. That's right. I'm like, wow. That's wow. right. And that's the same thing. That's kind of the same way what you just said a moment ago. That's right. And, and, and to sharpen the pencil just a little bit, put a sharper point on it. Hmm. In fact, if, if we were to leave ourselves to only the discipleship of, um, evangelical, predominantly white, you know, kind of context. In fact, those contexts would subtly and sometimes explicitly teach us that we should not care for our people. Yeah. Right? So that's part of of what's sort of underneath the question of justifying this focus, Mm. right? Um, And I want to answer to that with the Apostle Paul, Mm. you know, who says, I wish that I could be cut off. Sure. You know, so that my kinsmen, according to the flesh, would be saved. Sure. So that that sort of desire to see your kinspeople, you know, naturally speaking, saved and to become your kinspeople, spiritually sure. speaking, in Christ, that's a biblically affirmed desire, right? And if that gets kind of whittled away then I think we are, we are losing a stewardship that God has providentially entrusted to us in making us the ethnic people that we are. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, not, it's not just if we don't care for our people who will, it's also the recognition that in many spaces um, where we're not self-consciously you know, working on this, we'll be discipled out of caring for our people sure. in order to invest all our life and energy in these broader, quote unquote, um, evangelical things that, as you're pointing out through, sure. through Pastor Rocket, have no investment in our yeah. community. Yeah. You know, and I, I like the way you worded that, T, because, you know, I, you know, out in Twitterverse and other places, um, brothers and sisters sometimes who have come up in recent years in evangelicalism, um, white evangelicalism, right, and have, have gone to their institutions, mm-hmm. uh, they say stuff like, <clears throat> They taught me to hate my people, mm. right? And so then, looking from out, you would say, "Okay, now when did, when did you sit in the class and they say you need right. you should be hating black people, right?" But <laughs> right. that's not. But it's what you that's said right. earlier, you know, there's this um, this kind of indirect 
or maybe just a change of focus, mm-hmm. making this making this agenda, this ministry, the biblical ministry. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right? right. And that 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 then translates to then ministry over here. That's right. It's not. That's right. Yeah. It's it's crazy, right? Because what what gets developed in that context is simultaneously the notion that white is right. Right. And if you're black, give back. Right. You use that old that little thing. Right. right. So, so you get this you get this twofold attitude that's developed that to be on the varsity team or to be really sound, to be really solid, da, 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 you need to be over here uh, in sort of white evangelical spaces where everything's tight. So 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 called. Right. And at the same time, you know, you, you develop this disdain, you're taught this disdain. Um, for your own context. And as you said, it's nothing as explicitly racist as, you know, you need to hate black people. Nobody, nobody's saying that, right? Nobody in their right mind. But, but it's, but it's, you know, the black church isn't sound, just a broad sweeping statement like that, right? When, when, when in fact, every church in every ethnic context has ways it's sound and ways it's weak, just because we've fallen, right? Or, or you get notions that are sort of uh, anti all that social gospel stuff, mm-hmm. right? When the African-American church of necessity and, and of biblical conviction has a long history of reflecting on social justice mm-hmm. and, and biblical ethics and the application of that to society, mm-hmm. right? where our survival has been intertwined with our faith, right? That's right, that's right. And so you get folks who don't have that experience, you know, sort of speaking about that experience in ways that if you're not careful, you know, I understand how it could cause you to begin to sort of disdain what you grew up with, right? And so, you know, that that experience for many cats who who don't know who they are and whose they are Mm -hmm. uh, is a disorienting experience. Sure. Um, and, and we are now in a situation where you're right. You got a lot of folks who are, you know, talking about decolonizing their theology and coming out and things of that sort. Um, and some of that, some of that, we understand that to be a healthy, necessary response. Some of that I think is performative, um, and, and unhealthy and uncritical, just sort of swinging hard in the opposite direction. And with the Creek Collective, at least I'm not, we're not romantics about this. No. We're not just sort of saying our motivation isn't, oh, we think the halcyon days of of spiritual vitality come when we all go back into our ethnic enclaves. No, that's that's not it. There's nothing magical about being in a black church that fixes everything. Right. Right. Um, But we are saying we have a love for our people and and we have a missional imperative to go to our people, particularly in light of nobody else going. Sure. Uh, and we have a stewardship there um, in relationship to our people. And um, we want to see we want to see that stewardship played out mm-hmm. in black and brown and yellow context. So mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with a Hispanic brother or sister going to try and reach other Hispanic That's brothers right. and sisters in their neighborhood. There's nothing wrong with an Asian American brother or sister going to reach another Asian American brother or sister. And and back to your question about why we chose black and brown is because we recognize there was a way to be too narrow, like African American or say sure. just Korean or just Korean. But there was a way of being sort of general enough to recognize that even those groups, black, brown, yellow, are are, are diverse groups, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, and we want to allow for that diversity, and, and we want to see a missional effort to sort of reach that diversity. Mm-hmm. So um, a Korean brother who goes to fellow Koreans, uh, praise the Lord. That's right. uh, a, a Hmong brother or sister who goes to fellow Hmong um, community members, praise the Lord. Um, and, and we think that intentionality is what helps it to get done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, <clears throat> we love our people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, so in, end of any need for explanation, <laughs> we love our people. Amen. Yeah. And, and, and uh, we want to be good stewards of, of what God has given us to serve our people well. That brings us to, the, brings us to um, my, my, my next question and, and, and probably my final question. I got one more other than that. Right. Yeah. I'll try to <laughs> But uh, in, going to, in going to black and brown neighborhoods, and, uh, and if we could be a little more specific and say certainly in black neighborhoods, this, is, this has been the, the question well, there are enough black churches in the in the black neighborhood. <laughs> There's a black church on every corner in a black neighborhood. <laughs> by, by the way, people, that is not true. <laughs> I know it's good. It's good. I get I get the metaphor. I get it. I get the general generalization. Uh, there's a lot probably uh, when you sit when you consider. Um, well, I don't even know there's there's even a lot t mm-hmm. in in terms of doing the math, the real math real population and what it would take for churches to reach everyone or even close to everyone in that community. I did it here in Waukegan area, North Chicago, Waukegan, Zion area. And um, uh, when I was looking at looking at North Chicago, um, if in order to reach, if we were to, if everybody was churched in North Chicago, uh, which is predominantly African American, right? And and that's in, that's including that's that's not including Catholic churches. It's just churches that uh, you know that we would plant. Mm-hmm. Each church, the churches that are there now, would need to be running somewhere close to about two thousand people per Sunday. Mm-hmm. That is not the average size of churches in any community. That's right. Yeah. So just doing the math, but we've got that pushback. So how, how would you respond to that? Well, I, I think you're doing it, right? Um, so in, in point of fact, there, there may be many buildings in neighborhoods, but not necessarily many vibrant churches. So if I were to walk out of the office here and go three blocks, four blocks that way, uh, I could pass no less than half a dozen buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of them are small memberships of 20, 30 people maybe, mm-hmm. And and older, I mean, by older, 60s and 70s. These are declining 60s, congregations. 60s, yeah. brother? Yeah, you two, you be in there. You feel right <laughs> at home, brother. <laughs> you, you be on the active 50s, 60s. I'll be You fit right at home. Okay. That ain't far behind you. ain't far behind That's right. Um, so we love them. We love them. That's right. But, That's um, right. But, yeah, but, I mean, it would be a declining congregation that, um, yeah, when it comes to sort of evangelism and out in the community and sure. things of that sort, just in terms of their life stage and health and all that good stuff, that's not likely to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So, but as you said, even if there was revival and, and we filled every church in this community, um, it wouldn't be enough congregations that's right. to, to sort of hold everyone. 
Um, and, and all of those churches would have to be having multiple services every Sunday, right? So my answer to that is we need as many churches as it takes to reach all the people in our neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? So we're, we're a congregation of about just under 200 right now. We planted our first church uh, about a year and a half into our, our ministry here. Um, and they're up in Northeast DC, probably four miles from us. Uh, we, Lord willing, will plant our second church this year. They're going to be about four miles in, a, in an opposite direction. Um, and, you know, some folks would look at that and say, oh, you're just 200. You should, you should grow more. You should be a, a big church. It's like, mm, that, that doesn't look like Acts to me. It looks, mm. in Acts, it looks like there's a lot more organic and rapid right. church planting, and the gospel grows in that way. And so in that sense, I think the question has the wrong premise. Um, we're, we're not interested in the growth of our churches. We're interested in the growth of the gospel. Mm. Um, and for the gospel to grow very often, that means we got to have more congregations than we have. Yeah. Um, or to switch metaphors, um, we talk a little bit about gospel ecology. We, we want to improve the gospel ecology of our neighborhood um, so that we make, it, we make it impossible for our neighbors to go from point A to point B without bumping into the good news of mm. Christ. Mm. Right. Uh, so that's that's our ambition is to plant that many churches, to have Christians living in the neighborhoods we're trying to reach, being a part of those neighborhoods humbly as servants, partnering with existing churches uh, in order to make the gospel a, a rich, abundant life source in this neighborhood ecology. Mm. Mm. Well, that that then that's going to that's a that's a great segue to our end, because <laughs> what I want to ask you that that's. um but gospel ecology, yeah, mm. that's that's running around my mind. I like that, brother. <laughs> that's well, I, you know, preachers, we always taking stuff. I got that from Richard Chin. He's a um, he, he works with IFES, the InterVarsity chapter in uh, Australia, oh, wow. and okay. uh, he talked about they just went to a new city in this past year, and he talked about going there and trying to sort of shape the gospel ecology. And I was like, he was like, oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. I'm gonna give him yeah. credit this time. Next time, yeah. I like his mind. Yeah, I yeah, I probably won't be giving you credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna sound real deep, all on my own, brother. Right? <laughs> but somebody, it, it, it takes somebody who's real, somebody who will humble me, like Jeremiah. Say, you got that from Pastor T, didn't you? You got that from Pastor T. <laughs> well, listen, man. So we've talked, in, and we've only really skimmed the surface of what we really think about what we've envisioned for um, the Creek Collective, but um, <clears throat> could you give us a snapshot of that, what, what you envision for the Creek Collective, or better yet, what you're praying for it sure. to accomplish in the next, let's say, two to five years? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I'm, I'm praying for uh, the Lord to raise up um, churches that have a heart for this, mm-hmm. to see the gospel go uh, into neglected black and brown neighborhoods. And uh, just to be clear, in case people are forming the wrong impression, um, we mean churches of every sort. So you don't have to be a predominantly black or brown church to participate in the Creek Collective. Uh, some of our early uh, supporters and folks who've expressed interest have been predominantly white churches who uh, in some cases are in predominantly black neighborhoods, right? Mm-hmm. And partnering with churches um, to, in, in those neighborhoods. And in other cases are, are predominantly white churches who have, um, quite apart from us, by this, the leading of God's own spirit, 
have been thinking through matters of justice and restitution and, and how the gospel bears on that and what that suggests for where they should make part of their investments for gospel growth. Um, and so we think this is a mission that takes the whole church mm-hmm. uh, in order to sort of reach particular neighborhoods. Um, and so we're praying the Lord would would grow the network um, in, with churches joining and, and becoming a part of the the Creek Collective and building that fellowship and building resources together uh, for doing this work. We're praying that in the next couple of years, the Lord will allow us to plant at least five or six churches um, in uh, in neglected black and brown neighborhoods. So these will be new works that we pray are added to the existing churches and helping to improve the ecology, ecology uh, of those cities and towns and neighborhoods. Um, and so there's a lot of energy that will be invested and, and we pray will be fruitful in the establishment of these of these new works. Uh, so we're encouraged by that. And we're praying the Lord would also allow us to, to partner with, again, existing churches that might be declining um, and, and, and want to reach out and talk together about revitalization and uh, bringing some of those existing congregations back to vitality that, that perhaps they once had. If the Lord would be pleased to use us to encourage that and to, to start it on in some way in the next few years, uh, we would long for that. And I think part of what we are trying to do and praying for is is the sort of building of a war chest to to fund this, right? We, we, we count the cost. We're looking at the cost of, of, of doing this. And we're saying, Lord, you know, provide the resources. And we want to build that war chest because we also want to change the sort of paradigm for how we support church plants. So a lot of church plants depend on the planter going out and building relationships with, you know, a dozen or two dozen churches, gathering their support and contacting all their individual friends and gathering support uh, in order to sort of fund the plant in the early years. Um, and and that turns the church planter into a, a fundraiser rather than a pastor. That's right. And at the same time, we've got denominations that are requiring that um, churches become independent in, say, three years. Well, if you're working in neglected black and brown neighborhoods, which, you know, poor neighborhoods, um, that objective, you know, to put it nicely, is usually uh, unworkable, unreachable in those three years. So we've got a brother who's planted a church basically in a housing project here in D.C. serving that community. If the 400 households in that housing project were all to be converted and come to faith, which we pray for, they still wouldn't have you know, the resources from those poor households mm-hmm. to fund the entirety of the ministry, right? And so we've got to change the paradigm. And so we, we're trying to raise support so that we can provide very generous support to teams of, uh, of pastors that, that go in and work together to plant healthy congregations in unhealthy contexts um, and are able to do that with a long enough ramp to self-sufficiency that they don't have to worry about, you know, becoming fundraisers. They can do the work of evangelism and disciple making and build the church. We pray that would be faithful in the communities for decades to come. Mm, mm. And um, man, those are those are that that's a grand vision. Mm. Um, but it's um, you know it's it's reachable because because we serve we serve um, a God who is as the old folk would say who is able. Amen. Right. That's right. And um, God's been sending um, not only men of color, but men and women all over this world into areas. And he's been uh, reaching them, those That's areas right. through those people. Uh, right. 
since the world began, he's been doing this, right? And so we know he's able and we're trusting. Listen, we've only given the people just a smidgen of what uh, the work that the Creek Collective is doing. If they want to know more about the Creek Collective, of course, they can go out to our website, thecreekcollective.org. And then on there, uh, it's listed um, certainly our vision, our plans and all of that. But also on there is our, our board of directors. And uh, you can get a hold of us, and we would be more than happy to, to, to sit and talk with you, you know, in depth about Amen. what we feel the Lord is leading us to do uh, mm-hmm. in, this, in this work, man. Yeah. Anything else? Any parting shots, man? No, that's, that's good, man. Again, just to pray, pray for the work. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the harvest field is plentiful, right? That's right. Uh, but the laborers are few, so pray the Lord of the harvest would send laborers Amen. into the harvest, man, and uh, would give us wisdom and zeal uh, to serve according to his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, that's going to do it, folks. We are certainly glad you joined us on the new and remodeled front porch as we <laughs> chopped it up a little bit about the Creek Collective. And uh, until next time, may the Lord bless you richly, and we'll talk to you soon. Amen. Amen.